And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. We welcome you to the Echoes of Calvary, brought to you by Calvary Bible Church. Please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, verse 14. There is an important moral principle. We become slaves to whom or what we obey. Spiritually speaking, everyone is a slave, either to sin or righteousness. At no time are we actually free agents. And now, with his message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliott. And so the question of our passage is, may we occasionally plan to sin? Please look at verses 14 and 15 to see the emphatic answer, no. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. May it never be. Some versions translate meganoito, God forbid. Regardless of how it's translated, this is the strongest possible negative in Koine Greek of the New Testament. May it never be. God forbid. In short, it's ridiculous to think that as a believer you may occasionally plan to sin because you're under grace and receive God's sure forgiveness. That is ridiculous thinking. That is absurd thinking. Here's why. Occasional planned sin is ridiculous and absurd and totally out of the question for you and me as believers because we have changed masters. We are under new management. We have changed masters by trusting Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. We are under new management. Verse 16. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness, we ought never to think it appropriate to plan occasional sin because we've changed masters and we are under new management. Before the Apostle Paul was born, there was a Roman law which stated that no freeborn man could be enslaved. Therefore, a man could sell himself into slavery, collect the proceeds, and then have a friend come and attest to his status as a freeborn man, and he would have to be released at once, but kept the money. This caused havoc in the Roman Empire and the Roman economy, which was well-oiled by its use of slave labor. Therefore, just before Paul's day, a new law was enacted any man who sold himself into slavery could no longer claim the freedom of his position later. The law could no longer help him. It was therefore clear to Paul's readers here in Romans that to whom you present yourselves as slaves for obedience, his slave you are. That's verse 16 again. And so we go on. Uh, verses 16 and 17 teach 
a very important moral principle, an important moral principle, and this is the principle, we become slaves of whom or of what we obey. We become slaves of whom we obey. We become slaves of what we obey. Verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. The principle is we become slaves of whom we obey, or we become slaves of what we obey. And as Christians, we cannot obey sin without saying, I'm living denying that Christ is my master. And when I am living with the law of sin and death as my master, a Christian cannot say, I'm planning to occasionally sin without having to face the fact that Christ is not that person's master. And that person is allowing the law of sin and death, that downward pull into sins, plural, to rule and reign. The other side of the same coin, as Christians, when we can say, I am living with Christ as my master, who became my master when I responded to the gospel and believed in Jesus. Verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Verse 18, we go on. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Brothers and sisters, We should never occasionally plan to sin since, because, due to the fact that slaves of God and of God's righteousness is the victory we have to live out in Christ. Put another way, as believers, our obedient response to the gospel, that is our faith in Christ for salvation, frees us from slavery to sin. And it introduces us to slavery, to righteousness. When we respond to the gospel and to Jesus Christ and trust him as Lord and Savior, it frees us up from being slaves to sin as we once were before conversion, and it introduces us to slavery, to righteousness. Someone has said, as we yield to sin, we are bound by chains of our own making. And so I hope you heard it, that we don't actually have the option of being a slave or not being a slave. The options before us is to be the slave of the law of sin and death or the slave of Jesus Christ. Nobody's a free agent. You're a slave of one or the other. We don't have the option of not being a slave. Our only option is whether we will live as a slave of sin as our principle, or whether we will live as the slave of righteousness as the Holy Spirit within us makes that possible. And so it may surprise you, it may rub you the wrong way, it may be something you've never heard before, but at no time can we actually be our own masters. At no time are we actually free agents. Before conversion, sin was our master, 
And after conversion, God and his righteousness are to be our master unless our flesh is something we revert to. Now watch this. Whereas we actually are never our own masters, there are times when we think we are our own masters. Some years ago in Los Angeles, there was a man walking down the street with a sign on his shoulders. The front of it said, I'm a slave for Christ. And on the back of his sign, as he passed you, you read on the back of his sign, whose slave are you? It's a good question. It's a very good question. Because all of us are slaves to one or the other of these two masters, sin or righteousness. We have no other choices. And by the way, the very nature of our humanity is that we are made to serve and to be controlled by forces beyond our own power. That's part of being a free moral agent made in the image of God. So it may surprise you, it may rub you the wrong way, it may be new to you, but at no time can we actually be our own masters. At no time can we actually function as spiritual free agents. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas, and this is another edition of Youth Talk. And today we're going to continue talking about discipleship, and we want to talk about what does it cost a person to follow Christ? The Bible is very clear that when we follow Christ, we must die to ourselves. We must pick up our cross daily and die to ourselves daily with him. And today we want to continue and we want to look at Jesus talking to a crowd again as he talks about what it means to follow him. And Luke chapter 14 verse 25 said that now great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I want to stop there for a second because we need to recognize here that there were great crowds, multitudes of people following Jesus. And we know in our own lives, in our own circles, that when we have a big crowd, we want to say something that's going to be encouraging or be a thing that lifts them up. But here Jesus is very cold with the crowd and he tells them, look, this is what it means to follow me. And he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You see, we need to make sure that we understand what this word hate here means. It doesn't mean how we consider when we say we hate someone. But yet what this means is that we love Christ so much more than these individuals that it is compared to hate. Because we are so in love with Christ that we understand that no matter what, we're going to follow Christ above these different individuals. You see, it talks about a mother, a father, a wife, children, brothers and sisters. Yes, we need to understand that we need to love Christ so much that every other relationship, when it compares to our relationship with Christ, is no comparison. You see, we need to understand that we must even not like our own life. Because we have to understand that we have given our life over to Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, We have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, but it is Christ who lives in me. You see, we need to recognize that it is not my life anymore when I come to Christ. It is His life. And what is He going to do with it? And how, what am I going to allow Him to do? Verse 27 of Luke 14 continues, says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. As you know, we talked about this in the last two sessions that we talked about 
what it means to carry the cross and how the picture of the cross is death, that we must die to ourselves. We must recognize that before we come to Christ, we have to die to ourselves. But we also must understand that what Jesus is trying to say is that we need to make sure that we count the cost of following Christ. You see, this relationship with Jesus Christ is not a relationship that we take lightly and say, well, you know, I'm going to come to Christ for a fire insurance because I don't go to hell, and then I'm going to just do my, live my life the way I want. No. But we must count the cost. We must recognize that this doesn't come without a price. And verse 28 says, For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost or see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it at all. The onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, This man started to build and wasn't able to finish. You see, we must recognize that this particular passage is saying is it's telling us this, that we have to count the cause. It's just like when we turn around in our own country, we look around and we see so many different houses that have started, but yet did not finish. And we know there are different circumstances why someone may not be able to finish a house, but before we start a house, we must make sure that we can finish it. Because it's no good if a house is just started and we can't put a roof on it to finish the house or we can't live in a house. It's just sitting there. It's money wasted. And what happens a lot of times is that when we want to go ahead and use that house, we still got to do renovation because we haven't counted the cost. We haven't said we're going to do everything we can to make sure we finish and complete this house. It's the same thing when it comes with our relationship with Jesus Christ. We must count this cost. We must understand that Jesus Christ wants us to know that we are his disciple. We are following after him, and he wants us to follow him with everything that we have. You see, we can't say that I'm going to give you this part of my life. You know what, God? I'm going to give you my Sunday. And I might give you a little prayer meeting during the week, but the rest of this, my life, I want to live the way I want to live. No, that's not what he's saying here. He is saying that we need to understand that we are giving our whole life to him. And saying, God, whatever it is you want to do, you do. You see, it's just like us giving Christ a blank piece of paper, sign the bottom and say, Jesus, whatever you want to do with my life, you do it. You see, it's a cost. It's a price. You see, we, are, we have to understand that we cannot go in a food store or anywhere and just say, I want this without paying the price. So why do we think that we can come to Jesus without really sitting down and counting the price and knowing how much it's going to cost? So I want to challenge you this morning, if you listen to this, to recognize that when we consider our relationship with Christ, this relationship compares to no other. Because we should be so in love with Christ that we want to spend as much time with Him as possible and that we continue to pursue Him with everything because we want to be His disciple and give him everything that we have. And now, today's ministry spotlight. Well, this morning I'm very pleased and thankful to the Lord to have Sister Phyllis Newby in the radio studio with me. Good morning, Sister. Good morning, Pastor Elliot. Very good. So let's talk um, these churches that you have seen God raise up. Are they in remote areas of Haiti? Very remote most times. We do have some in some of the large villages, like Lekai is the third largest city. Mm -hmm. And we do have in Lekai, we have in Capetian, which is the second largest. We have in Gonaive. These are some of the cities that we have. 
but most times they are very, very remote. I can leave my house at three o'clock in the morning, walk and not walk and sit, but keep walking and get to one of these churches by 10 o'clock. Wow. And there are others still ahead of where we would go. That is a long walk. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes. Do the churches have any common feature in their names that they're, they're a grouping of churches and yes. people know that they're in the group? Yes. What, what is common about they're their names? called L'Eglise Church Reformé. Um, now let's talk about the the orphanage or, orphanages. How many orphanages are you associated with? Well, we have two that are attached to the work. One in the north, and the one where I live. We have two that we give some assistance, and then the government gives no assistance to the handicapped. Mm-hmm. So we help with the handicapped children. Yes, praise the and Lord. And more children than older folks. We do sometimes give some help to the women's prison that is close to us. Yes. And also the men's prison that's close to us. I see. Now, typically when a Haitian uh, child goes into an orphanage, what, what was the common reason that that happens? I would say they're not always without parents. Sometimes there are rare occasions when they have both. But most times they are without a mother. And the mother is so important in the figuring. Um, The father, he has to try and find something to do. some work to do so that they can he can take care of the family yes so if the father is dead sometimes the mother will try and make it on her own but when the mother is dead then the child is at the mercy of just anything so we always try to help the motherless child. Yes. And sometimes the situation is so dire that even if they have both parents, the parent is unable to take care of them. Now, if you you say, why not help the parent? Well, some, sometimes I take these children in without getting any special financial help for them. If I don't have special financial help, then I would have to find funds in my fund funding to give to the parents. And if the parent already has six children or seven and two parents, then it would take so much more to help them. Yes. So you help one or two of the children if you can. Yes. I understand. You know, um, the Bahamas uh, is such proximity to Haiti in some ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And so many of our listeners um, know a little about Haiti and and know Haitian people. But I'm just wondering um, what you would say are some of the most common misconceptions about Haiti. I would say that, one, the Haitian people are all uh, into voodoo, which is a um, witchcraft, 
that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. And uh, maybe somebody met a neighbor or Haitian who was a bit rude or a bit ugly, and they think, well, that's how all the Haitians are. Not true. They are just as lovely as anybody else, anywhere else, and just the same shortcomings or failures, you know. Um, Some of them might be not so nice. Yes. Just like anywhere else. Like any other uh, person. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, They love the Lord when they get to know him how they love him. And I never heard people sing like the Haitian people. You should hear my kids. They are, they just, the Haitians just sing. Mm. Sing from their hearts and how lovely, wonderful. Yes. The uh, concept in the New Testament is that he or she who is forgiven much loves much. much. That and and you're so saying true. that when sometimes when Haitian people come out of voodoo or other um, pagan things and come to know the truth of Jesus, that they, they love him so much. You have put it just right, Pastor. Mm-hmm. You put it just right. Praise the Lord. Um, now, now, Sister Phyllis, you are a single woman. Yes, sir. And uh, there are probably some single women listening today. Yes, sir. And uh, and maybe there are some single women who are young and they're hoping to be married someday. Yes. But I wonder if you could talk a bit about the husband that the Lord Jesus Christ is to you. I once had a fiancé and I, when I accepted the call to Haiti, I said, I'm not going to ask anybody to um, go to Haiti. I'm not, and I'm not going to put it to anybody for us to have a fight or a quarrel or whatever. So I just wrote a letter and said, um, I'm sorry, he was studying medicine in Canada. I just wrote a letter and I said, this is it. I am unable to, to carry on with the commitment. I, the Lord has called me to Haiti, and please don't get in touch with me. Mm. <laughs> Not quite that way, but mm. something to that way. And that was it. So, in, in gladly, you burned a bridge. I did. No turning back, at least with that gentleman. Yeah. And uh, because you saw loving and, and obeying Jesus as more important than right. loving and obeying your fiancé. Exactly. That's precious. Exactly. We weren't actually engaged. Oh, I'm sorry, yes. Mm-hmm. You were friends. That's that's remarkable. Um, there's joy in serving Jesus. There is. And something made me, I remember, I, something made me realize that this was important to do. It was important that I break the friendship and insist that this is the end. Yes. It bothered me for a while, but it wasn't too long that the Lord just gave me peace about what I had done. I hope that the listeners who are listening today 
um, who are tempted to want to plan out their lives all by themselves, maybe who are unprepared to say goodbye to a certain friend that is not helping them to walk with God. I hope that some of our listeners will allow the Holy Spirit to examine their thoughts and their hearts. And here you are, 81 years young, radiant, beautiful. Thank you. And and no regrets. No regrets. You have burned more than one bridge probably to, to be able to go to Haiti. And you are just knowing that that's where you're to be and you're content. And that's what I should be doing. Yes. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com That's eocradio at gmail.com Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliot. The question comes from 1 Corinthians 10 verse 8 which reads, Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Was Paul in error when he said that 23,000 people died when you compare it with Numbers chapter 25, verse 9? Here's the answer. Some have linked Paul's 23,000 with the 3,000 who died in Exodus 32, verse 28. But a study of 1 Corinthians 10, 5 to 10, indicates that Paul drew all his illustrations from his this text from the book of Numbers. There is a text in Numbers 25, verse 9, that records how 24,000 people died as a result of God's judgment. This figure, I suggest, records the total of those who died, including the leaders, apparently numbering 1,000, who were executed, according to Numbers 25, verse 4. Paul's figure of 23,000 refers only to those who perished in the plague. You have been listening to The Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Due to concerns regarding COVID-19, we will not have a worship service today at our location on Collins Avenue. Instead, we will be streaming our service online this morning at 10.30 a.m. You can gain access to this service at www.calvarybible.org.bs or you can find us at CBC Body on Facebook. Our stream will also be held there. We encourage your comments and you can write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, 
Everyone needs the Savior. 